What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So he's painting this picture of these birds that have come, and it's not like, you know, the birds are just flying out there. It's like, oh, look, well, what, look at there's some, some, some seed. What a feast is right here in front of us. Let's go down there and eat that seed. No, it wasn't that way. Well, what, look at there's some, some, some seed. What a feast is right here in front of us. Let's go down there and eat that seed. No, it wasn't that way. And the people knew this. I mean, birds are smart. And, and they track, you know, it, it reminds me, in, uh, uh, in Loretto, in Baja, California, they have, uh, there's these, I've never seen so many, what are those birds? Vultures, you know, I never saw, so flocks, big flocks of vultures, you know, with w- big wingspans, and they're flying around. I said, is that a bad sign? They're flying over me, you know. <laughs> anyway, I just get so amazed to looking at these vultures, you know, there's so many of them. So I finally found out why there are so many vultures and the reason is, is because they have a rule in Mexico, in the Mexican government, that you are not allowed to fillet your fish at sea. You can't fillet your fish on a boat because they don't want the fish heads and the carcasses to get thrown into the sea. And when you do fillet your fish, you know, Loretto area is a big fishing area. When you do fillet your fish, you're not allowed to throw the heads and the carcasses back into the sea. You have to fillet your fish on land, and you can't dispose of it at sea. Why? I don't know why. You have to ask somebody. I don't know why. But anyway, that's the rule. And it's pretty strict, because if you don't obey the rule, then the gov- it says the government will give you a fine, they'll take your fishing gear away, and they'll take your boat away. Apart from that, it's not a problem. So nobody fillets their fish, and no one dumps the heads and the carcasses of the fish at sea. So what's done is they take the heads and they take the carcasses, load them up in the, tr- in the truck, and then they drive inland and they dump them inland. And then the, these big flocks of vultures, they have a feast out there. That's what happens. So the, Mex- so the vultures, they really appreciate this Mexican law. They probably voted for it. <laughs> anyway, so, but, but what's interesting about these vultures is that it, what's very fascinating about them is that they've gotten to know the vehicles of the fishermen so when those vehicles start heading inland, those vultures start circling over the vehicle. 
And they're just waiting because they, they've gotten that way. So those vultures track the vehicles. Well, in the same way, everybody could picture these birds in verse 6, that when these birds saw the sower come out with, with the seed, they might be circling around them, just waiting for that seed to fall you know, on the hard ground, and that would be their opportunity. And you can imagine the frustration of the sower with these birds. They're his enemies. And everything that he's doing, the birds are seeking to undo. And those birds are just waiting. They're just waiting there. And so the, the sower, he, you know, he doesn't want to waste his time. So he goes back, he thinks, he reviews, you know, the road, the, the seed, it's gone and everything. He says, what went wrong? Why didn't it germinate? And the answer was no soil. There was, no, there was soil, but it was hard packed. Well, so th that's what happened. But fortunately, all of his seed didn't fall on the road. And in fact, and it fell into what's described in verse 5, stony places where they had not much earth. That means the thin layer of earth on the top. And they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. Now, that's the important description. Now, the sower, he can't see those stones. He can't see those rocks underneath the surface there. All he sees is the not much earth, the thin layer of soil that's there. And so he's encouraged. He thinks, oh, good. And he sees his, 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 his seed fall there, and he's happy. But then it says in verse 5, forthwith. In other words, just a little bit long later, then he sees, that's unusual. That plant has really just bounced out of the ground, it seems like. He's very happy. So oh, that's great. You know, it grows so fast. It must be really going to make a lot of fruit. But, it, but he doesn't know that it's, not be, it's because there's no real soil for it to grab a hold of down there. And then comes the sun, the Middle East sun, the dry sun. It's terrible. The, in Ethiopia, we experienced this called the mistral. The mistral that will come out over, it gets all heated up as it travels over the Sahara Desert. And by the time it hits in Ethiopia, oh, it'll dry anything up. I used to wear goggles, you know, goggles just to keep your eyes from drying out. It's very hot wind. So, the, so when this comes to the plants there, they dry up. They wither away. And then he goes to, you know, investigate, pull the plants up, whatever. And he says, oh, that's the reason why. Here's the stones. And he understands what happened. And so, you know, he and so that's another heartbreak for the, for the sower. It was so hopeful. Well, he's had two disappointments now. And so, you know, you might think, well, he's going to give up here. You know, it's like really hard to endure all this. But he moves on, and he sees what happened to the seed, and he comes to the third place in, in verse 7, where it talks about some seed fell among the thorns, and then the thorns spring up and choke them. Here again, he's got big hopes. He remembers the seed on the ground. It looks so good, and the stones were there, and so forth and so on. So, but he's, so again, when he sees these thorns grow up and they choke it, they go around, he's very disappointed, highly disappointed, and he understands this. And so he sees the thorns are aggressive. They're very aggressive. And so they send out runners that intertwine the plant there. You've all seen that. I mean, have you ever seen a morning glory plant? You ever seen a morning glory plant? Oh, don't ever plant a morning glory plant anywhere because the reason they call it morning glory is because it grows so fast in the morning that when you look at it, you say, oh, glory, you know, anyway. It's terrible. Morning glory pants, I tell you. Very per pervasive. They go everywhere. So anyway, he's very discouraged. But fortunately for the sower, the sower found that some of his seed falls on good ground in, in verse 8. The good ground. Now, the good ground, it's not hard packed. The good ground, it doesn't have stones. The good ground, it doesn't have the, the thorns in it. You know, this reminds me, though, when we moved to our house in 1987, and, we, you know, that's when I told you we were liberated from the goat ranch. We lived on the goat ranch for 10 years. And so 
Anyway, then we became civilized. And so we moved into civilization in 1987. And my wife, you know, wanted something we never could have. She wanted a rose garden. Why couldn't we have it? Because we had 300 goats that lived so close around us. We had the smartest goats. With everything that she tried to plant in Lakeside up there on Willow Road, we wake up in the morning, it was all eaten. And yet all the goats were still in the pen. So we wondered, what's going on, you know? So one night I decided I'm going to stay up all night. And, and I'm going to see what happened. And so I stayed up, and there was one goat, which had a name. Her name was Quiche Lorraine. And so, Quiche Lorraine, I'm not kidding. I should have taken a film of this. It could have been on National Geographic. But Quiche Lorraine, she, she, as soon as it was, I think it was like 2 in the morning, I was watching her, and she walks over the gate, and she unlatched the gate and moved the latch over, and the goats went out and ate up all the, the flowers and everything that my wife planted. Then they all went back into the pen, and she latched the gate. <laughs> anyway, we knew that, you know, roses were just not going to be in our, in our destiny for Lakeside. But so when we got to our house up there in, in El Cajon, and she said, I want a rose garden. And she picks up this area. It's about 10 by 20 feet. And, she, you know, you, and so you got to prepare the ground. Now, on the property, I told you about the morning glory. There's another one that's just as bad. It's called the asparagus fern. Anybody ever seen asparagus fern? This ought to be banned by the International Association of Plants, if there is such a place. This thing is very invasive, and you can't stop it, and it takes over, and it grows around, and it chokes, and it's awful. Well, there was some asparagus fern in this ground, and so that was my job, to get rid of the asparagus fern, the roots of the asparagus fern, see? So, uh, you know, I thought, okay, no problem, I can do that, you know. So, so I got a shovel, and, and I said, okay, I'm going to dig down three feet in this area here, and then I build a box, you know, two feet by two feet with a wire mesh, thin wire mesh on the bottom. And, you know, I uh, dig the, put a shovel full of dirt in there and screed it, you know, back and forth. The dirt falls through, the asparagus fern is caught, and rocks were caught. I think that was the hardest job I ever did. I don't know what it is about soil. It's extremely heavy. And... I don't know what it is about three foot down by a 10 by 20, but I felt like I was in World War I digging trenches, you know, for the gas attack or something like that. It was very, very hard. I mean, it was a monumental job, and I did it, and I finally got it done. And I tell you, that ground was absolutely clean and clear of all rocks and asparagus fern, and that ground Still to this day, over 30 years ago, it grows beautiful roses. 32 years, it's still growing beautiful roses, so all because they did all that work, you know, so anyway. So. Well, that's what good ground is. You know, good ground is not just there. Good ground is prepared ground. It's ground that, first of all, you, you have to turn it up. The ground. You have to upset it. You have to take the bottom and put it on the top and the top and put it on the bottom. And it's got to be broken up and it's got to be, whether it goes through a street or it goes through a rake, the clods have to be broken up. You know what these things are they, when, they, when they harrow the land, you know, and if you're in the farm, you know what I'm talking about, harrow. You know, till, disc, harrow, there you go, things in there. Yeah, anyway. So, um, I don't know, I, I was raised in Los Angeles. I thought tomatoes grew on trees, but you know, Come to find out. All right, so anyway, so this is the thing about good ground. It's broken up, and it also has the, the, the contaminating seeds removed from it. That's what good ground is. So when it talks about, in verse 8, others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, that uh, is a tremendous harvest. First of all, it makes us think of Isaac, 
in Genesis 26, 12, Genesis 26, 12, where it says, Isaac sowed in the land and received the same year a hundredfold. The good ground was prepared ground. It reminds me of the, the farmers in Ethiopia and our compound there. Is to sit up on the wall and watch them, and they would use the, the plow, as you said, you know, and the, and the ox, and they would plow this way, and then they would plow that way, and the ground was all broken, and then they would send the women out, because the women do all the work, and the women would go out bent over for the whole day and just go inspect everything through the dirt, trying to pick out this, pick out that, whatever there might be, a root that shouldn't be in there, and so forth. Closely looked over. Good ground does not just happen. Good ground is prepared ground. And this is what the Lord said as he was standing there in this, as he was sitting there in the boat and the great crowd is in front of him. And he's describing this, this, this sower, the seed, the four grounds. There's a lot of drama in this and, and, and all the eyes are fixed on him as he describes this, this situation. He says, yeah, and? And everybody's waiting for the tie and everybody's waiting for the description. Everybody's waiting for what does this have to do with me? What is the deeper meaning? And then he says in verse 9, he that hath hears, let him hear. No one knew what the deeper meaning was, but the key to the deeper meaning is when he said, he that hath ears, let him hear. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. The key is he repeated this word twice in verse 9, hear. It's all about hearing. The parable of the sower and the sea is all about hearing. Even the disciples, they didn't get the message, and he was surprised. It says in Mark 4.10, in Mark 4.10, that when he was alone with them, they came up to him and they said, you got to tell us what this means. What did you just, what is the meaning of the parable you just talked about, the sower? What is it? And then he, he explained to them in Mark 4.11, he says, to you it's given to know these mysteries. And then he, he said, uh, if you don't know this parable, how are you going to know all parables? You can't start unless you know this parable. How's that going to be possible for you? And then he explained, and he said in Mark, he said, he said, the sower, verse 13 is what I was quoting there, he said unto them, know ye not this parable, and how will you know all parables? He goes on, Mark 4, 14, 4, 14, the sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh the word that was sown out of their hearts. And those that are sown on stony ground, they, they have heard the word, and immediately they receive it with gladness. They have no root in themselves, and they endure for a time. But when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they're offended. And these are those that are sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And then he said, those that are sown on good ground, they hear the word, receive it, bring forth the fruit. So, the, so what he's saying here is that the sower is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to, to make this personal for ourselves. And I want us to really think here, in 2019, we are going to have seed sown to us, the word of God, by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the sower. And the seed is the word of God. And then there are these, th these four grounds, and the devil comes in the first ground before it even can, can, can take any root away, and he takes it away. The seed is scattered everywhere. It's preached in all the world. And the hard ground, the hard ground, you know, oftentimes when people read this passage, they immediately say, well, that's not a Christian. That's not a Christian. That doesn't apply to me. It's a hard ground. No, no, no. You know, not so fast. 
not so fast. You know, it's true, that's the common among those who are not believers. They say, oh, that's religion. I'm not religious. That's Christianity. I'm not a Christian. That has no relevance to me. Or the, like a person told me the other day, a man invented God. Okay, that's a tragedy. And when a person hardens themselves like that, yes, it's true. Satan immediately comes and takes it away, takes the word away. But what about the believer? who says, who reads the scripture, says, I know that, I know that, I learned that before, I know what that means, I memorize, I can quote it to you, and his heart is closed off from the word entering in and making an effect on him and changing him in his life. That's possible. So these are the hearers that are like that. And then he describes the second one, and the second ground with the stony ground, that's the person who gets all excited just on the surface. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's heavenly. Oh, that's divine. That's absolutely divine. It's exciting. But these hearers don't do one thing, and this is something we have to really guard ourselves against in 2019. They don't take time to consider the Word of God. Remember what Christian was saying here earlier? says, in your devotions, when you're reading some portion, and you can go to the back of your, of your hymnal there and find a hymn that matches it, in your devotions, that is a very important time. And there's two things that are really important about devotions in 2019. First, that we have them. That's the first important thing, that we actually do have. This is a set-apart time every day, every morning. I am going to meet with God. And second, the quality of that time, the devotedness, the single-heartedness. Are we a Caleb in that devotion, we should be we should we should be a Caleb. Caleb, you think Caleb means dog? Well, it does. But Caleb is two Hebrew words: kol lev. Lev is heart, and kol is all. It means all heart, all heartedness, no divided heart. That was the great thing about about Caleb in that when in the land he was all hearted for God. There was no division within his heart, and that's the way our devotions need to be as well. And so the stony-hearted Christians, he doesn't do, he doesn't do what the Lord challenged the disciples to do in Luke 9:43. Luke 9:43 and 44. Here's what happened. He speaks, the Lord Jesus speaks, and it says, they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. And while they were wondering to every one of all the things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink deep down into your ears for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. So here he said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands of men. All right, yeah, I understand. You're going to be killed. Okay, fine. No, no. He said, you let that saying sink deep down into your ears, deep down into your heart. The Son of Man is going to be delivered in the hands. Why is the Son of Man going to be delivered in the hands of What did that mean with the decision that the Son of Man had to come to? What was going to be the result of him being delivered into the hands, so and so forth like that. Just mull it around. The stony ground here doesn't do that. Doesn't do what Mary did. Mary was the exact opposite of a stony ground here. It says in Luke 2.18, Luke 2.18, that all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary was a heart-pondering Believer. She was a person who listened, kept them in her heart, wondered about it, and walked away and pondered it, just mulled on it, thought about it, turned it over. 
Mary was like Joshua, like Joshua was commanded to be in Joshua 1.8, where God said to, where it was said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. What's that mean? Shall not depart out of thy mouth. It means you're going to be talking about it over and over again. You're not going to stop be, be talking about it. I was talking to a, to, to a guy the other day. Uh, he has a ranch. We got on the subject of goats. And somehow I was just, you know, uh, really going on about, uh, you know, Aaron, he, he, he came and he confessed the sins over the goat and, and he, he laid his hands on the head of the goat and he was confessing the sins of Israel of goat. And then some athletic man came and took that goat and led it way out into the wilderness and turned it loose. And that was like our, our, our sins are carried away because I have a little sailboat and, you know, I had to make a decision recently, what am I going to uh, name the boat? So I was explaining to him that I named the boat carried away. And I said, it has three meanings. I said, the first meaning is the wind carries you away. That's a wonderful feeling for a sailor when the wind carries you away. The second meaning is our sins were carried away. That's what was explained to him. I said, the third meaning is I'm the type of person that gets carried away. Anyway, but um, uh, that's not really, I don't get carried away, do I? No, couldn't be right. Anyway, but anyway, so I was explaining to him about how our sins get carried away by this goat, and I was going to, and he was listening, listening. You know, we have goats on our ranch. <laughs> okay, anyway, but the, the law is not departing out of the mouth of Joshua. He's talking about it all the time. And the reason he's talking about it, he says, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And he says, that, and that's why he's talking about the word of God, because it's on his mind. And God says, that's what it must be. And he says, and then you'll be prosperous and you'll have good success. The description of the man of God in the first Psalm, Psalm 1, just starts off the first Psalm, it sets the course, the man of God is this person. And it says in Psalm 1, 2, that his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night, day and night. David said in Psalm 119, 97, it is that I love thy law. It's my meditation all the day. It's a, but the stony ground hearer, he, he doesn't lose himself in, in like the hymn says. He's not lost in wonder, love, and praise in, in the word of God. It's not that way. It doesn't say with Job, Job in 23.12, Job 23.12, he says, I have esteemed the words of thy mouth more than my necessary food. It's more important for food. You know, devotions, Bible before breakfast, Bible before food. I have to keep reminding myself of that. So the stony ground here does not think through the word of God, does not embrace the word of God, does not love the word of God. And there is a promise for those who love the word of God, deeply love the word of God. And the promise is they will be kept or free from being offended. And offense, first comes offense, then comes bitterness. And that's what it says in Psalm 119, 165. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace when peace like a river attendeth my soul. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. So the stony ground Christian, the stony ground hearer, I should say, is a person who is not protected from offense. Therefore, there's bitterness. Therefore, there's anger. Dr. Clyde Merrimore had one of the greatest Christian counseling centers in Los Angeles, and he said that every time a new patient would come to him with their story, sometimes they'd have notes. They don't want to make sure they get everything down there. So they're all ready. They're ready to go. And he sits down. And he says, wait a minute. 
He says, before you start reading off your notes, he says, before you start telling your story, I just have one question. And with this one question, we're going to get to the root of the matter. And his question was, who are you mad at? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.